Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 168. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have a returning guest, Travis Partington. Kip, it's a pleasure to be here again. I had a great time last time. I'm looking forward to talking with you further. And the feeling is quite mutual. So as the audience may gather from the title of the episode, we're going to be talking about how the media depicts war. And in particular, I'm not focused on news media here, but creative or narrative media. I think of video games, movies in particular, books, and other ways in which we tell war stories, for lack of a more concise phrasing. And one of the pieces of media I think of first when considering war media is Saving Private Ryan, the opening 27 or so minute scene showing the beach landings on Normandy. And I think it's a very interesting moment in cinema because as many veterans and people who were there have said, it's one of the closest depictions of what actually happened and how gruesome war can actually be. And to tell a brief anecdote, There's a person in my life about 10 years ago who was referring to the film and said she couldn't bear to watch those 27 or so minutes. And although I've certainly never been in war or anywhere close to it, my immediate reaction to her was that there are people who have sacrificed everything imaginable and did so on that day in 1944, and that at the very least, we could try to learn a bit more about their story. And I say at the least because I think there's far more to do to support those who are serving overseas and elsewhere for the United States. But I'd be very curious to hear what you think about that as someone who has served in the Marines and as someone who I'm sure knows people that have lost a great deal in similar or at least similarly frightening scenarios in combat. Thanks, Kip. I was not a combat veteran I wasn't there for Normandy, but talking to World War II veterans who were there, reading their stories on books, and looking at pictures taken during that time, when I watched Private Ryan, there was no question that Steven Spielberg really worked to make it as real as possible. I felt like I was there. It says to me that if someone wants to take time and be respectful and be thorough about how they do this, they can tell a really great story about our military and the sacrifices our service members make. So I would encourage anybody, if they haven't watched it, it's a relatively old film at this point, to check it out on Netflix or Amazon Prime or wherever it is and get an understanding of what that means. Another thought I have related to Saving Private Ryan in particular is that I think it can in many ways divide veterans who might watch the film from civilians who might come to the film with very little to no understanding of what gruesome combat scenarios can look like. And I say divide because I wonder if in some way, as you and I were speaking before this episode, the scenes could draw certain people in thinking, what's going on? I've never seen this. And your eyes are almost glued to the screen because it is so otherworldly in a sense that you want to know what's happening. You want to pay attention. But I imagine there are veterans who, whether they are still alive from that era or have been in similarly traumatic scenarios, can't bear to watch the scenes depicted by Spielberg. And I wonder if on some level, as you and I had talked before about the difficulties of transitioning out of military service, if in some way scenes like that or films like that work to actually divide two groups of people that should in fact be talking more and sharing a dialogue to understand one another's perspectives better? Yeah, I get what you're saying by divide, but if you allow yourself to be closed off as a veteran from talking to somebody else who asks you a question or vice versa, 
you're a civilian and you close yourself off from getting more information, then unfortunately there's no opportunity for dialogue. Both sides have to be willing to talk to each other. And that takes effort, that takes respect, and it takes a mutual understanding that both sides don't have information but want more. I will never understand how it felt to come out of that boat with bullets hanging it back on that day. And, you know, if this were happening today, the kind of warfare we would use to execute Normandy would be very, very different. So for us, it was kind of a once in a lifetime thing. We'll never see something like Normandy ever again, most likely. However, back to your original question, I would answer it again by saying, reiterating and emphasizing that both veterans and non-veterans have to be willing to understand that there are gaps of knowledge and there are people that really want to understand, but we have to be open to communicating what we went through and how that felt. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign that, you know, we're stupid or we're not capable of understanding things, but you need to be able to share information, share perspective. I completely agree, and I share that perspective. Do you think, however, that as media, especially visual media in my mind, becomes more vivid and not necessarily more accurate, which is a point I'd like to touch on, but as those images become clearer, as the special effects become more impactful in ways to certain audiences, do you think that creators risk traumatizing veterans who might feel, as those images are more immense, that they are back in the heat of things and that they might be reminded of certain scenarios which would then close them off to talking because of their tremendous discomfort when reminded of their personal experiences? I'll use an example that is near and dear to me to answer that, and that is Full Metal Jacket, which for almost every Marine out there, they watch that movie either before they go into boot camp or after. And to me, it's a good example because it shows boot camp how it was in the 60s and 70s. But a lot of the things that happened in that movie are very relevant to your current experience or when I was in. I would watch that movie even after going to boot camp and even after it's a faint memory 20 years later. And I still get chills when certain things were happening. And I didn't know why. And it's because those memories are still there somewhere in my subconscious. And I'm still able to remember what it's like doing those marching orders, being on a forced march, having that one guy who can't get it right and we're all being punished for that. Those are very visceral memories that I still relate to, even though I don't think about them every day. So potential is there as things get more and more high tech and more and more directors can bring realism to the experience. There is an opportunity for veterans to feel like they never left or feel like they're there at that point in time. And before we move past World War II as a certain era, especially in your statement that Saving Private Ryan and those events of invading Normandy would never happen in the same way in the modern era of combat, I've noticed, especially as a gamer, that World War II does seem to be this golden era in a sense of American military operations. Not that it was perfect or not that no one lost their lives, but that there was a certain glory and honor And I think in many ways it is glorified as this fight against evil. But as a gamer, I've noticed how many games, of course, Call of Duty originating in World War II, have depicted this era. And I'd be curious to hear from your perspective why you think that is, and if perhaps it reflects a reluctance to discuss and depict more modern military operations, such as Operation Desert Storm or other current engagements that the American military is involved with. I think for me, and this is just how I feel about this, World War II, 
affected almost every American life back in that time frame. There was rationing. There were reduced resources because of the war effort. Women built many of the systems that they used. Women built the bombers. Women built tanks, assembled rifles. Not all of them, but most of the factories, if you remember, were crewed by women. It was the first time in our history where women were called to the workforce to support the war effort. It was the first time where you had children, consider, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old children lying to recruiters and falsifying their ages to serve the war effort from this country. And so almost every facet of American life during those years was affected and it had a profound effect on our country going forward. Germany had committed great atrocities and had attacked our ally in Britain. We were attacked in Pearl Harbor by the Japanese. And there was a sense from what I have read and talked to vets that if we didn't unite as a nation, there was real concern that we would not be able to enjoy the life we had. So every American in some way or shape or form was affected. And we went out there late to the game, if you will, and we were victorious at a cost, but victorious. Whereas now we're not fighting a true epicenter of evil somewhere. There's no real figurehead like Adolf Hitler. Mussolini is another one that, that comes to mind. There are splinter groups that come and go and, and, and fade away, and they're never really taken care of, if you will. So at this point, kids don't really get affected by it. Our lives go on as normal, even though there's conflict going on all over the world, everywhere. Let's just say if you had to tell people, hey, we're going to ration your data for cell phones down to 500 megabytes a month in order to support the war effort, everybody would feel that. But there's none of that going on right now. Whereas back in World War II, sugar, fuel, oil, everything was rationed to support the war effort. So it's a very, very different time. And I think that's why World War II is so iconic to a lot of Americans in video games and movies. It's the last kind of conflict of its kind for us. I really appreciate that answer. And in mentioning the resources, I'm reminded of another anecdote you shared before recording about the so-called water buffalo and how resources play into what you witnessed in the Marines. And if you could connect it to war media, I think you and I would both agree there's a certain form of dishonesty in how little we see, if anything, about what happens behind the scenes. We witness a lot of combat scenarios in war films and certainly in video games which depict either real or fictional combat. And of course, there's a great deal more that happens to ensure the success of combat operations. And I would love to hear what you have to say about that. So water buffaloes in the Marine Corps when I was in are 400 gallon water tanks that are towed by a vehicle. And I was mentioning that, yes, you're right. You see all the movies with the uh, jocks, if you will, you know, kicking butt, they're doing their thing, they look good, and that's great. And that's a definite part of the experience. And they do a fantastic job at what they do. But no one sits there and considers that there are people in the military, at least in my unit and attached to my unit, whose sole job is to make sure that every Marine in the desert, and as I said in the last episode, that we worked in a pretty extreme environment. And you saw some of the pictures and you see that it's an extreme environment. There's no water or CVS down the road. It is in the middle of nowhere in a place that if you're not careful, can and will kill you quickly. And so there's this group that will sit there and, you know, look at that water buffalo or water bowl, depending on, you know, where you are. And their job is to make sure that it's filled and it's clean. There was a group that they would take water from the irrigation canals in Arizona and make that drinkable for us. 
Now, if that person's not doing their job right, you have 400 sick Marines unable to do their job. Or if you're not making sure those water buffaloes are filled up, you're going to have people falling out from dehydration and heat stroke. And that kind of thing is never really shown in the movies. I can't remember a movie that really showed what happens when that kind of thing goes right or wrong or what it takes to make sure that's taken care of. And it might seem like a completely ordinary, banal thing. Water, big deal. Up here, we can go 20 miles to the east and there's all the water we can see and then some. But there are certain places where you go where that's not possible. And I'd like to see some of that portrayed in the movies and the degree of professionalism, training, and motivation it takes to make sure that kind of stuff is handled. You use the phrase that you'd like to see more of this portrayed in the movies, and I concur. But I would also really like to know if you think there are certain aspects about war which are too sensitive to be portrayed. Of course, I'd mentioned earlier that we don't see as many contemporary films being shared or produced, at least in my anecdotal perception. And I'd really like to know if you think that's how it should be, if we should see more of war, and if perhaps that might shift public opinion and knowledge of how the U.S. military or potentially other military operations are conducted. I'm so glad you brought this up. One of my first podcasts for my Oscar Mike radio podcast was about the soldier in Afghanistan who was court-martialed. He was a staff sergeant and his captain were court-martialed because they beat up an Afghan police officer for raping a woman's seven-year-old child. This woman had gone to them and said, this is happening to my son and I need help. Please help me. And they told the Afghan police chief not to do it. He laughed at him. They beat him up and they got punished. They eventually got exonerated, but they got punished. And then talking to other members in the community who knew about this said, yeah, this is a widespread thing. And for lack of a better term, it really messed with some of my friends' heads. Here they are over there to protect these people. They know this is going on. There's not much they can do. They can't touch these people. They're, They're our allies. But this, what we would all agree is this heinous, brutal practice being done. There's nothing they can do about it. And, and they never really got over that. That would be one of those situations, Kip, I think that would be very hard to portray people to understand. However, I almost think it should be portrayed if you're really going to do an honest appraisal of what we're involved with. I think it would explain some of the PTSD issues that our service members have from serving in Afghanistan. There are things that just aren't going to go away with time, and this is one of them. And with the mention of PTSD, I'm actually reminded of a game that I've played. And to those listening who might be skeptical, I would urge you to look into this. It's a game called Spec Ops The Line, in which you play as a relatively contemporary military officer. And I won't go into the details of the story because I think it's worth either experiencing or witnessing. But it is based off of Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness and involves a great deal of hallucination and PTSD that affect the player through the character you are controlling. And in no way would I ever suggest that I therefore fully understand what it is like to experience those circumstances. But I do think the power of media is to convey very meaningful stories. And as people, I have this profound belief that we are inherently storytellers, and therefore that we understand one another's stories. I think it's why conversation works so well, because if you speak the same language as someone, you can come to appreciate what their perspectives are through their stories, through their narratives. 
And for those who are still skeptical about the power of stories, I would say to look at fictitious worlds and how they have very practically affected the lives of real people. Harry Potter, for example, has had a profound effect on people's imaginations, and of course that's a fantastical world, but I think we should learn from that lesson how powerful stories can be in giving people a better understanding. And Travis, I would really love to know, as we've talked largely about movies, as someone who I know has at times played games, if you think there are ways in which video games as media can convey any different sense or perhaps a greater sense of authenticity, perhaps in the audio recorded or in the experience of playing as potentially a soldier in combat. My kids play uh, Xbox and sometimes I'll play with them. It keeps me uh, engaged. And to that point, they started playing the game Battlefield 1 on the Xbox. And I started playing it, and I was really struck. It's the first time in a long time that a video game about war, I felt, was really done right. The reason I say that is there's a section where they're talking about the first couple of uh, British tanks models that had come out. And this is before World War II. And you're in the tank, and you're going toward the German line, and you're supporting your troops, and all of a sudden the tank breaks down. And the game goes over and says this tank was prone to breaking down. It's one of the things that happened. Now, you're in a video game, and you're thinking, no, it's not going to happen to me. I'm just going to do my thing. But it breaks down. And the thing is, the actors, the voice actors inside the tank, they're freaking out, trying to get their tank fixed. They're trying to eject the shell from the chamber and clear it out to put a new shell to keep firing to support their brothers on the battlefield, and they can't do it. The Germans overwhelm their position and start taking shots at the tank. And the level of tension and fear and anxiety and absolute sheer terror if you allow yourself to embrace that experience, feels as real as it can without actually being there. That's where, yes, I played, you know, Call of Duty and Tom Clancy stuff, and I like all that stuff, but this was one of the first ones in a long time that I felt really made me feel the experience through sound more than anything else. And the tone of the voices in the tank with me, I could hear them in my headphones screaming at me trying to get the thing fixed. So I think there's a very good opportunity for video games to do this because my children asked me, Dad, what was that like? Why is my you know, gun firing this way? And we had a conversation about you know the first time they did this. I don't think I would have had that same conversation if they hadn't played the game. So there's certainly a place, but again, the, the developer has to put the effort into making a quality experience in the right way. It can be a very effective tool for making you understand what that was like. It's so great to hear about you discussing these ideas with your children in particular, because in the last episode we recorded, you had asked me how to make certain narratives of veterans and their various affairs and experiences more applicable or more approachable, perhaps, to a younger generation. And I also appreciate your mention that the audio in particular resonated with you, and I think as podcasters, we do have a certain relationship with the power of audio. And I would firmly contend that those stories are always out there. History has happened, and of course it is told in a certain way, but if we can find as civilians and as veterans new ways to tell stories, new ways to express, and remix, in a sense, the way that stories are told, I do think younger and developing audiences will be more interested, will find an avenue of entry into what is certainly a very complex and often very dark subject matter that I personally believe deserves telling and needs to be discussed because people have given a great deal for countries and nations that they have served, and I think at the very least, a way to honor their sacrifices and experiences is to try and engage with them. 
And with the mention of nations, I'd be very curious to hear your thoughts on war media, again, for lack of a better phrase, as something that is patriotic in a sense. But in potentially being patriotic, one of my concerns has often been that war, though at times necessary in some people's perspectives, is not pleasant and that I think there is a tension in trying to depict the struggle of a soldier, of someone who is fighting on the ground, or in any combat scenario, and the danger, the risk, but also the potential for success. And I worry that war media often depicts more of that glory than it does of the struggle, and regardless of one's political beliefs about war, I do think that is inaccurate, because war, at least from my perception, is not always glorious, and does not always succeed. And I think a great deal of media, especially in video games, depicts a super soldier-like experience that I think is dangerous to internalize because it does not reflect reality. I think that's a fantastic statement because if you're not careful, war media or war fighting media can become almost like propaganda to support the cause, if you will, and, and, and rally people to the flag and kind of do away with the necessary skepticism that is needed before we commit any American lives to danger. That's the cautionary tale I want to tell with the first part of my answer. But the second part is it can be a way to also rally people to come together. We have this foe who's trying to affect our way of life and our values, and we need everybody to be on the same page. Put aside what kind of differences you have and come together as Americans. It can be a very powerful thing. I think one extreme I'm going to mention is if you watch any of the North Korean clips about how they propagate themselves as a superpower, it's almost comical in a way, but in that area of the world where they don't, where the people don't have any access to other kinds of media, they believe that they are, without a doubt, the premier fighting force in the world. It's a very dangerous thing. On the other hand, if you ever get a chance to watch it, I got to watch uh, All is Quiet on the Western Front. It's a German movie. And I watched with a friend of mine who is very, very anti-war pacifist. And he asked me what I felt about it. I said, well, you and I may disagree on war and the need for it. But certainly that movie, above all else, shows the uh, plight of the German soldier. There's another book, Kip, called The Forgotten Soldier, which is about Germany in World War II and how the Germans had to do things versus, you know, the Russians or the Americans. And these are very brutally honest books about how life was not glamorous. Life was very difficult. And we paint Germans with this Nazi brush. Not all of them were Nazis. They really believed that they were fighting for the fatherland, Deutschland. So I think as much as I like being on the winning team side of the story, if you will, there's an absolute necessity to see the other side and open yourself to that experience as well. And again, media, whether it's print or video media, can tell that story very well. And I'm so happy that you reference non-American media and narratives, because I've often wondered if in seeing more, in hearing more, in reading more about the stories of potential foes or former foes, at the very least, we can come to, in a collective sense, a better understanding, a higher degree of empathy for those we have fought, and frankly, the effects that wars have in a lingering sense on nations who may be rebuilding from those conflicts. And circling back to the point on non-combat roles or other depictions of how war is conducted, 
I've been very impressed recently with documentaries I've seen regarding Allied espionage during World War II and efforts that were made to prevent Germany from acquiring an atomic bomb, for example. And I'd really love to know your thoughts on the utility of showing not only non-combat roles in war, but also ways in which larger, perhaps bloodier conflicts can be avoided by certain operations or tactical maneuvers. And I totally agree with you. People want to see the good guys win. They want to see the evil, the good. They want a very defined protagonist-antagonist relationship in the movie, in their entertainment experience. But if you want to dig a little deeper and understand that there were people devising ways to make sure that Germany didn't get the V2 rocket off the ground, somebody sat there with a map and figured out if we can take Iwo Jima, we can make the war shorter. We can use a certain type of compound and paint to make radar absorb and not be seen so we can go and do night ops and possibly keep people's lives safe. The plan I'm talking about is the F-117. It was the first airplane you know, that's decommissioned now, but it was radar invisible. And in the first uh, Desert Storm, Saddam Hussein had a bunch of anti-aircraft missiles available to him. And some, we would call nerd, computer scientist nerd, and the Air Force nerds got together and figured out a way to make their planes radar invisible. These planes went and took out any air batteries, thus allowing the Air Force to do what it did. And we lost very few lives with that conflict. Where the conventional old way would have been to commit massive amounts of ground troops, massive casualties, and allow Saddam Hussein to dig in and protract this out. And you don't hear about that. That plane's been decommissioned. It's in the boneyard in Arizona, if you will. But there's a whole huge story about that aircraft that was never told. And that's just one story of many people in the military who do things behind the scenes that save lives, reduce cost, and make equipment better so it survives longer in the battlefield that you don't hear about. And I would like to see that change, but I don't know how to make that change right now. Which is a fair point to make, although I would point out with the avenue of podcasts that I do think there is a way to begin telling those stories more and more frequently because we have the means available to record some of them. And with all of this said, what would you like the audience to focus on and consider after listening to this discussion? On a light note, next time you go to the movie theater and you watch any kind of military war movie, regardless of what time era it's in, and you see those tents put up, you see the sandbags lining the walkway or those trenches dug, those ropes coiled up, keep in mind that those sandbags, those tents, those wires did not get there by themselves. Somebody that you will never see on film in real life filled each one of those and then carried them, put them there, and then repeated the process. Now, it might have been a working party, which is a misnomer if I ever heard one, but those are the kinds of things that go into making a military operation work, and that's just one facet of it. Somebody got up at 3 o'clock in the morning and started making food for all the troops so they could go get breakfast and go out and do their job. You will never understand from the movies what it takes to operate a kitchen in remote, extreme environments in a safe, healthy way. And last but not least, when you see that soldier being taken off the helicopter airplane in the stretcher to the operating room with all the medical shows we have on now, it would be wonderful to see how these professionals do their job to save our soldiers' lives and put them back together. These people do not get enough credit for what they do, and they are wonderful human beings and dedicated to saving lives.
So when you go and see these things or enjoy this media, please understand that behind the scenes, there is a lot going on and everybody deserves your attention and respect. I couldn't say it any better. And to extend on the point of the sandbags and other equipment which is placed there, I think anyone listening who may not even consume war movies or other similar media could still apply that empathy for those not present. There are tools that we all use in our daily lives, constructed in factories elsewhere, which we may not fully appreciate how much time went into producing them. And I also think that even if we do see people who help in our daily lives, perhaps postal carriers or sanitation engineers, etc., we don't always appreciate the contributions they make to a more fluid and effective society. And I would also encourage those listening to think critically about the media they are consuming and try to support more accurate depictions of what actually occurs for those serving. Because I think if producers of media have the support of the public, they will continue to tell accurate stories, which may not be pleasant, but which do tell us a great deal of what we are asking of our servicemen and women. And I think that is effective in producing a greater sense of empathy and connection with the people we are asking to serve, and ultimately applying media in the pursuit of empathy. And Travis, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on again, but I would also ask listeners who enjoyed this discussion to check out Oscar Mike Radio, which is an excellent podcast on veterans affairs. Kip, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed our time together and hope to have you as Stride and Sonner come on Oscar Mike Radio. Thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome, and it would be my pleasure. But as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, or feedback of any kind, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show, as well as supporting us on Patreon, where you'll receive perks like bonus episodes in exchange for your support. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.